0: Welcome to College and Career Reimagined, a podcast created by the Center for Equity and post Attainment. This podcast is designed to provide listeners with cutting-edge research and best practices, including tips and tools needed to implement equity-based career development and post-secondary readiness for students in the K-16 educational system. Your hosts are Dr. Laura Owen, founder and co-director of the Center, along with her co-director, Dr. Diana Kimelo.
1: Welcome to today's episode, um, Equity-Based Career Development and Post-Secondary Transitions. This is Laura Owen.
0: And I'm Diana Camillo. Today we have our guest, Dr. Eric Hines, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Educational Psychology and Learning Systems within the College of Education at Florida State University. His research, research agenda includes topics related to career exploration in the which Leads us to our conversation today about equity-based career development and post-secondary transition, which is also the title of the book you and Laura have co-edited. The book is first of its kind to discuss career development and post-secondary transitions from an access and equity perspective. So, Eric, that was a long introduction. Can you share a little bit about yourself and uh, what equity-based career exploration means and how it connects to your work?
2: Okay, uh, so, a little bit about myself. I um, I'm back at Florida State University. I was a I'm an alum of uh, Florida State and and coming back here, I wanted to, it was an opportunity to restart the school counseling program. So I I took so much as an undergrad from here, I was really introduced to the PhD program, the Brothers of the Academy. I met Dr. Moore here and my late mentor, Dr. Lee Jones. And it was a great foundation uh, for how I got to where I am today. I didn't have any thoughts of going into research or academia. I thought I was going to go back and and teach at a community college. I started off at a community college and I wanted to help traditional students and also I wanted to go into the classroom, I mean a classroom, in the school as a school counselor to help students figure out their purpose and what they wanted to do uh, in their life in terms of a career because as a high school uh, student for a while, I, I was kind of lost as a sophomore. I got disengaged in, in school. I didn't really find my footing until 11th grade. And by then, I mean, my, my grades had tanked in, in so- at my sophomore year. We we had 10th, 11th, and 12th. That was high. I'm dating myself. That was high school back
0: then. <laughs> right? Yeah.
2: So then I, it was too late uh, trying to get into some of the universities. I did get into a few. But some of the state universities at the time, uh, I missed some of the requirements and had to go to community college. So when I was 19, I was like, I didn't want that to happen to anyone else. Uh, so that's when I decided I want to go into the field of school counseling. And and I was also working in my church, and I thought that uh, I was good with working with kids. I enjoyed working with the kids in the Sunday school, at my church, mm-hmm. and I also wanted to, like I said, help people find their purpose. And I thought at the time, and I was doing career development at 19 and I haven't even heard of the concept. So that is how I got to where I am today. Thus, the research interest, my research, my work, uh, how I talk about equity-based, secondary readiness. Uh, one of the things I do want to say, I, I think what, what also helped propel me is me, meeting Laura at the time. We, we met at an ACA early career uh, meeting. and then we just started hitting it. I was like, "Oh, you applied here? I applied here too. You applied?" Here? Mm, mm-hmm. And then I think we just stayed in touch, and, and our research, uh, our research just aligned. And so, coming with the equity-based piece, uh, college and Career readiness, and the text, uh, Laura invited me to uh, present a paper on Black males on uh, college and career readiness at the Career Development Summit a few years back. And then I was talking with James, and I told him how. I had a such, a, he was there too as well on one of the panels. I had a great time with Laura and working with her. And, I, and he knew that I wanted to do a book around uh, college and career readiness and, and career development. And so uh, we talked about it and then I asked Laura, I said, hey, Laura, what do you think about putting this book together based on what we did um, at the Career Development Summit? Because there was never a book, there. Was, there, there wasn't a book at the time that really talked about How are we preparing students, not only just students of color, but all students from a perspective that they get the resources they need? And some students may need more than others. Some students may need more support. Some students may need more parental involvement because their parents may not know the college going process. So we put our heads together and we found some great and phenomenal authors like yourself, Diana, to be able to (laughs) contribute to the book, right? And so that that is how that's one of the uh, places where we talked about equity based uh, career uh, college and career readiness. And for me myself, I I had to learn my although my mom went to college, right? She went, to, but she was a non traditional student as well. Some of the things she still didn't know about in terms of knowledge, in terms of scholarships, in terms of who to talk to if we were having issues uh, in college. And so we wanted to. Be able to use our book as a foundation, not only to say, hey, school counselors can be the beacon and the center of college and career readiness, but these are some other approaches that you can use with various populations. We even have uh, a chapter or two about both career development and career technical education. We have to think about, and that's the thing we wanted to open up all options for students, should they, uh, so that they can have multiple opportunities after high school to pursue their career goals and also uh, have a quality of uh, living. And Laura can attest to this as well. You know, we, we wanted to follow what uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama was doing, making sure that every student uh, has some type of post secondary education. And in order for that to happen, it starts in K-12.
0: Yeah. I like what you said uh, a second ago in terms of It's not one-size-fits-all, right? And I think this is something that Laura and I constantly talk about or anyone that is in my classes, Mm -hmm. you know, I always remind them that, that it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think also the point of this podcast, right, to talk about how can we do this work differently even outside of sort of the cookie-cutter approach, right, that we continue to teach and we continue Mm -hmm. to to implement. Um, And I get sometimes it looks – it's easier to do, right? When you have a high caseload and you have a lot of things and there's a lot of pieces to this, but I really appreciate that you emphasize that, right? That it's not a one size fits all and that it looks very different for different student groups. Um, so yeah, I really like, I appreciate that that, the perspective of the uniqueness of this, um, of of this work.
1: And Eric, I think that this is work clearly that's been, not just in your you know, professional career, I think it was, it, you even let in with kind of your introduction of your journey and your path. And um, all of this is built to like who you are and where your focus is in both teaching and research and practice. And I'm wondering, like, you know, we could go on and on. If we talked about like all the papers you've written and all of the incredible projects that you've led and initiatives, is there something that stands out for you as a favorite, or something that you know brought a lot of meaning to your life, and and maybe touched your passion?
2: There are two two events um, in my career, I think, that really played an impact in my in my life. I mean, in terms of where I am now, I think one right when I got out of, uh, finished my PhD program. I was uh, working at Hopkins uh, under Dr. Cheryl Hoke mccoy and she had a college and career readiness program that I, I got an opportunity to oversee in one of the middle schools. And we brought in guest speakers. We were able to come in and talk with the kids. We did uh, a lot of uh, the career development, the career assessments with them. And one of the things I think that hit me the most was, we took them on a field trip. It was a college right down the street, literally maybe 20, 30 minutes. I mean, not 20, uh, 15, 10, 15 minutes down the street by bus. And some of the students have never been on that campus ever. And so, you know, we we study urban school counseling in our PhD program, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then to actually see it play out and just say, wow, you know, we really have a lot of work to do. And then the kid the students didn't know either. Some of them, and we were with middle school kids, that if they got admitted to this particular school as a resident of the city, everything is paid for. Now imagine how many stu- shoot, how many administrators or school counselors may not know that information. And this and the school is right there. Of course, the school is predominantly white, historically white, right? But to but to see, you know, some of the students be engaged and we we went to an engineering demonstration and a lot of them were like, wow, we didn't know we could do that. Having this type of equipment. And then some of the even smaller things, that, which I mean, even I liked about college, all of us liked about it, too. Probably going to the cafeteria, getting <laughs> as much pizza and hamburgers as
0: all the cereal want. in the world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So
2: being able to I think. Talk about that with the students inside, not only the college, but coming back and reflecting with them and then also seeing a lot of them say, hey, I I do want to go to college. I think it is accessible to me. It is a reachable goal and I can go to a college of this caliber and be successful. And the second event that impacted my career, but also impacted me as a person is when I was uh, working at the University of Connecticut, I I was uh, tapped. By our then associate provost for academic affairs to to run a learn live and learning community for black males, given given my research and my experience, and of course us most of us if you look at myself doing the qualitative work, I would call myself the instrument of research to the instrument itself. So. Based on uh, my expertise, uh, so we started uh, the Live and Learning Community, and um, one of the things that was so profound to me when I was working with these young men, very bright, very smart, top 10, top 20% of the school, because institution was highly selective, but it was also a contrast to, well, we're creating this Live and Learning Community for Black Men dude. Do- Do they need help? Uh, Are they not academically astute? Like all of these stereotypes that we think about with black males and you see in the media today, I don't say, and we don't ever think to occur that these young men are somebody's sons, they have family, they came from schools that they were very smart, top of their class, and we didn't do anything. And I say we, I'm talking about society as a whole, not the institution. Uh, we we didn't necessarily think about okay what is it that we need to do to support black men in college because they usually have the lowest uh, graduation rates at the six year mark. Uh, it's normally hovering around thirty five to forty percent um, compared to other groups are so around seventy percent plus. And so, running, uh, uh, being a director of the inaugural director of that Live and Learn Community Scholars House, a lot, one of the things that I learned is that our students are coming in as freshmen, and these are young men, right? So, imagine going back to college, right? And then you're tasked the first day of school to learn how to be self disciplined time management, understand how to study for certain classes. And I could talk about the gateway courses. Gateway courses are usually courses for students who want to take STEM, getting STEM majors like engineering. So they may have to take college level calculus. They think that they have to study calculus, right? That, that this is one of my colleagues taught me because he helped us with our students with math. No, Eric, they can't study the calculus. They can't sit there and absorb it. They have to do it. They have to practice calculus. So these are some of the things that I think if we go back as uh, K-12 counselors, if counselors, uh, and some counselors do know this, excuse me, know this information, that we're preparing Black men to navigate the college space, not only just understanding what resources are, but how to study effectively in a way that they're being successful but also training faculty members, too, that you have a first-year student who just 90 days ago graduated from high school, and developmentally, we're expecting them to go from children to adult. So I'm always advocating, especially for Black males who are going to institutions where they're, they are in the minority, they're smaller numbers, how are we giving them the support that will help them be engaged, that they will still be retained, and that they will graduate? So we did a lot of things around career development. I was able to bring in individual, we talked about graduate school in the first and second year. We also talked I also got a chance to talk with school counselors who, who came and actually visit the learning community and bought their black male students there. And I was able to have those conversations about, you know, when we think about coursework, making sure that uh, we are not unconsciously putting them in classes that they think they should be in, but putting them in classes that if they wanna go to college, that it is preparing them for college level courses. And so we we were able to do that. We were able to take them to Brazil uh, to look at actually disparities in education uh, that Black Brazilians and the Bahia State, uh, the city of Salvador, which has the highest concentration of Black Brazilians in the country. Uh, and we talked about the comparison of Black Americans and Black Brazilians there. So those are things that we were able to do to be able to engage our young men. So that just has so much of a, an impact on me that, hey, we need to be getting this knowledge to our counselors in K-12, but also our teachers and parents. There, there are so many things that we call it the hidden curriculum, So how are we getting this conversation to our K-12 colleagues to understand, you know, how to navigate that hidden curriculum at the college level, who to talk to, not being afraid to talk to your professor because you may think that your professor uh, may assume that you don't, that you are not uh, capable of doing this work. And I tell them all the time, hey, I love when students ask me questions. I think you're engaged. I, I love when they sit up front. I love it. I say it's actually the opposite effect. So that's the conversation in reference to our podcast, how we have these conversations about supporting not just Black males, but any students who may feel supported or need the support at the college level and that counselors can understand how to help parents, help their students navigate those uh, hidden curriculums.
0: It's it's also interesting for the students to not think about you know, I, it's accessible to me, but there are programs, right, yes. and
2: yes. and practices
0: that want to make it accessible yes. to me that I didn't know about. Yeah,
2: down the street. It's not like it's in another right. county. It's not like it's in the southern region of the street. This place is literally in the same city as the students.
1: And how many it, it assumptions are made that if yes. something is ten minutes down the road, you've had a chance to visit it or to see it? Yes, and and then the the policies and ideas and things around you know access and yes, it, it just it's so many assumptions and the whole pipeline and the process that everyone has the same access, everyone has the same opportunities, everyone has mm-hmm. had the same exposure, and so early on, you're seeing that in some of you know your doctoral program here. Um, I think that's probably you know. Been a formative experience for you in thinking about how you engage with students in different um, communities.
2: Yes, but also, and, and I'll say this: it also translated in my teaching as well. Like we, we have to realize that there are invisible boundaries, and this is where the inequities come in. Like just because this resource may be in your city, it doesn't automatically—you don't automatically think you're entitled to it or that you are a part of it. And so, when I talk about this in my foundation course, the school counselors, we we talk about okay, what, what is we, we we do an activity around community mapping. What what is in, in your area? What what do you think students know? What do you know? And sometimes the students didn't. Uh, the pre-service school counselors didn't know that. And then even in the internship, their their students and their parents didn't know that this resource was available to them. So it's really about, I think you said it earlier, how do we create access, but we have to also tear down those invisible boundaries where we think that this particular resource may be for this group and this population and that it is not for us, even though we have either ownership and entitlement because it's in the same area that we're in.
1: You know, I love the term, like invisible boundaries. And it reminded me of doing some of the text messaging work and how there were assumptions made that if you were messaging students with nudges and reminders of things that they needed to do to be able to look at that post-secondary transition and just assuming that maybe those nudges worked. When we learned that there were students who would get a message talking to them about being a future college student or they thought the message was a mistake that it wasn't meant for them because they didn't see themselves as being a future college student. And so, I think about like the the very foundational ways in which these sort of individual barriers are there that we don't even we don't even think about. We make yes. you know, we make these wide sweeping um, assumptions that really are important that we understand what those what those invisible barriers are.
2: And, and I think we also. You, you made me think of this when, when students would say, oh, I didn't know I could go to X, X, X. We really expose our privilege. Like, how do you know that? Why didn't you know? Instead of saying, wow, you know, we really have some work that we need to do. And so we automatically expose ourselves there with privilege and, and assuming that students will know that they can go there. And that's something that we have to as counselors, as counselor educators, as uh, educators. We gotta continue to check our biases and beliefs. (laughs) Yep.
0: I think for me, one of the things that I constantly think about is the messaging that we send without saying anything, right? And that students are, and students and families, right? They're they're listening in between the lines. Um, And I think you just pointed that it's like, well, how do they not know that, or how do they assume that? Well, we're kind of saying a lot of things Um, when we behave a certain ways, or you know, neglect or refrain from sharing certain information or target only certain students, right? Right. Uh, So I think that all goes into it. I'm just wondering, you know, because you've done a lot of work in looking at what this looks like for folks that perhaps are not familiar or have not had the space to practice equity-based career and post-secondary planning, what are some of the things or where can be a good place for some of our practitioners to start? Or things that they should consider when they want to, you know, approach their work from an equity-based lens.
2: I think they need to start with our book. That's the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I think our, our book is, and I know I'm being a little biased. I think our, our book is is comprehensive, right? I'll say number two, and I, and I think our book is written in a way, although it is still is scholarly, it still has practical implications. It, it also has questions and activities in there that even K twelve educators could to, could use. And I've talked to a few uh, folks who are actually using our books at the inst- at their institutions with students. So I was like, yay! So I think that that's one place. The second place, if if you're thinking from a more scholarly perspective, we actually did a special issue. Uh, thanks, thanks for thanks to Laura. Get, shout out to Laura. Uh, around equity-based uh, post-secondary development, uh, post-secondary readiness and career development, excuse me. So that 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 is one place that uh, individuals uh, can look. So so we, we also discredit what our states have. I know the state of Florida, you look at the Department of Ed, they have things on their website for college and career readiness that are specifically uh, at the state level. So I would say we, uh, we could start there. Those are the, the few places I know, a few places that uh, individuals can start in a way that could uh, deepen and broaden their knowledge around uh, post-secondary uh, planning. So I think if we get into uh, different um, populations, then we could, we could probably start talking about different individuals. But I think there's enough resources out there right now to, to get folks Uh, started in terms of uh, this equity-based approach to post-secondary planning and readiness.
1: So, Eric, one of the things that we hear a lot when we are um, doing webinars or or presentations is that we, we hear, oh, well, that project's funded. You have more resources to be able to do this. And I know you're teaching, you know, brand new counselors and training to go out and work in schools. Is there a space where you think a practitioner in a school could start um, beyond like their own education and reading? Like if you were starting to develop a program in a school, is there something that you would recommend? Like this is a good place to begin. If if this doesn't exist, um, if you're wanting to go in and develop and start really looking at how to advise students Um, to set up a program. Do you have some thoughts about where someone should begin?
2: Well, let me start with the resources. So we were doing this program when I was in my PhD uh, and we went to a school and it was a grant funded program. And what happened is we started going to the community, talking with individuals in the different community. When we when we were talking about careers, uh, we had individuals who would come from the federal government in different spaces. I'm, I'm trying to keep this confidential as We had uh, owners who would come in, uh, who uh, talked about. Uh, they would provide uh, lunch. Uh, entrepreneurs, we had individuals said it. They would give a church. I think that. If, if we talk about the foundation that goes back to community mapping, right? Where is it that we could start with uh, resources, right? And um, part of it is the school counselors have our, let me say this, we're assumed that they ha- have had training and career development, but part of it is doing the work and doing the research and understanding what is in your district. I think we, you could even start with your district leader. Some places, have you know, they call them school counseling leaders or guidance uh, counseling and services. Uh, even going back to the simple things that are already happening in some of the schools. I know some of the schools have career day. How do we build off of the career days and, and being able to create a program there? I think the other piece that we are we have to also think through it, too, is that, um uh, what are what colleagues are doing in the district i think we feel like sometimes we have to work in isolation not all counselors but being able to use that consultation that we've been taught mm-hmm. so much in our program and really understanding what they're doing in their schools. so those are, i think the foundational places uh, when we talk about social uh capital being able to work with different colleagues across the space in our district to be able to start doing some of these uh Things and and I would even challenge. Sometimes you may have to be innovative, being able to create programs that are not even there, and then you know doing simple. If you want to assess it, doing simple pre-post tests, looking at it from a qualitative perspective, understanding if it is working for the students or the parents or the administrators. Uh, one of the things that I've I've always told my students, if you if you can work in a school with no resources and create resources from scratch. You can go anywhere in this country and be able to thrive as a school counselor, hands down.
0: That is so true, yeah.
1: And and Eric, I think for me, you just brought it back full circle. Like you started with talking a little bit about your graduate students, right? And that you were doing yeah. this community mapping. Yeah. And I love that this takes us back to like a data centered approach. Yeah. And yes. really going in, I've always thought of it as kind of asset mapping or, or an audit yes. so that you need to do before you assume what's working, what's not working, what's in place, yes. what <clears> isn't <throat> in place. Because so often I think we find out um, as counselors or educators, there's programs that exist in our school that we don't even know anything about. There's community yes. partners who are coming in. So I really, I love that because I think that that is a place that someone regardless of money or funding or other, um, you know, staffing, like you could start there. You, yes. you, and then that becomes your basis of being able to yes. go to other, you know, stakeholders or partners yes. or your principal or your school board. Right. And be able to say, Hey, we've, we've done this um, community map where we also now have the voices of our community members and their perspectives. And it's just so, data rich in a way that I don't think anyone can argue, right like here's what we understand about what's happening here's where the gaps are I I love it and I think it takes out that barrier that often I think sometimes we dismiss our own power um, in the positions that we're in and assume that we can't do things but this is this is a place that you could start without a lot of funding or other resources where you can actually really use the data then to drive, your next steps.
0: Yeah. Yes. And I think the other part of this Laura is that we have community organizations or leaders or individuals that want to be involved but they don't know how. Yeah. And I, and and sometimes it's the assumption that it takes money and the involvement doesn't always have to be tied to some kind of monetary action and so I think when you get out and do an assessment of who's in your community and who wants to be involved you can find, because I remember as a school counselor, I found tons of resources that just didn't know how to be involved or they just felt like no one asked us. Um, and so we sort of start that conversation of engagement.
2: I will say this, too. A lot of companies are willing to give money uh, as well. We, we don't think that I, to ask our local pizza parlor. To, hey, can I, I get $500? I'm 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 running a group on uh going to college and I want to I want to get as many students to come as possible. Different groups. Can you provide us with either food or can you provide us what $500 with materials and supplies? Mm-hmm. And they'll happily, oh yeah, here you go. And then you can say the XXX uh counseling group. name it after them, uh college uh, career readiness group and that gives them free publication. That gives, um, I mean, promotion, publication. You see what my brain is? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> writing something. That gives them free promotion. And then that helps you, uh, with, uh, helps the counselor with their goal of getting their students um, prepared for post-secondary opportunities for whatever materials and supplies that they need.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes we're not even aware of, program that exists within our own school district. Yes. We got asked, we got invited to a meeting yesterday with a CTE program that in the school district that had learned about some of the work we were doing with our college and career access program. And turned out that they had significant funding that could be used for busing and transportation to do college visits, career, um, you know, partner visits. And so, I think when you get into the space and you start doing audits and looking for partners and collaborating, you find out that that there are, whether it's human capital resources or maybe even potential funding, there are resources and there are people who really are um, committed and want to do this work and want to find ways to engage and partner with
0: you. What a blessing for your students uh, to have you in the work that you've done and just, we're so thankful for just the plethora of expertise that you bring to the table. going to ask what we ask all of our guests before we kind of close, uh, if you can share one tip or piece of advice that you would like to share with today's adults who are preparing students for life after high school, is there anything that stands out for you?
2: Yes. Um, and, and I do this with my, my, my own research and my work. uh I wish I could have talked about the live and learning community more, but that maybe that could be another podcast. But w- one of the things I think that we need to do as adults is meet our students, meet our children where they are, listen to them, understand them. I think sometimes even in my own work, when I was working with my students, we, we assume automatically what they may need. And sometimes we do know, right, because of experience, but they may know what they need more than what we know. And so coming unassuming, non-judgmental, you know, counseling one-on-one, the fundamentals, and then really listening to what our students' needs are. I'll give you an example. I I, w- I remember pushing a student to try to go to this particular area in, in terms of a career. Like, no, I want to go this way. This is why. And so I really sat back and reflected and I was like, yeah, that is a better option for this student than what I was thinking. So although we, we may want this for them thinking that it's the best, they actually may know, particularly with students, uh, I always used to say this in my learning community, when students would come to college, we, we would say this notion about, oh, well, you know, students are going to college to find themselves. And I would kind of re, re, rebut that and say, no, you already know who you are. You are just coming to college to get knowledge and, and to get more experience to make better informed decisions. And so for our students, how are we listening to them in a way where that we affirm who they are, that they already know who they are and they're still growing and they're still trying to understand life, but also respecting their thoughts, their decisions, and and even their voice. I think we have to do a better job at centering students' voices on what they want to do after high school and helping them and also encouraging them that it's okay Maybe you b- decide that you want to be a nurse this point, and then you want to be a teacher. That the career is not a linear uh, career development is not a linear journey. So I would really encourage adults to do that, sit and listen, and and really understand their students.
0: This has been College and Career Reimagined with Dr. Owen and Dr. Camillo from the Center for Equity in Post Secondary Attainment. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to having you join us on the next episode. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, subscribe, or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook and Instagram at SDSU SEPA. You can also contact us at SEPA at SDSU.edu. That's C E P A at edu. Till next time!